Hello and welcome to Kiwi Rider Podcast. My name is Ray here and joining me once again, it is Matthew Day Gillett. Hello. Hey man, how are you? Yeah, no, yeah, nah, yeah, yeah, I'm good, <laughs> I'm good. We're, uh, we're coming to you on this podcast from two undisclosed locations which aren't Nelson or Blenheim. Um, we're going to talk further about this later in the podcast, more in depth, uh, when we are joined by uh, Ben Wilkins, editor of Kiwi Rider Magazine, and we'll fill you in on all the details, but of course if you're anywhere near where I live, you, you know that we've had terrible weather and um, you probably guess what's happened. Um, but Matt, we're not doing the launch of the uh, Harley-Davidson Pan America. No, no, well... Um yeah, we're not, clearly, as we're in our um, undisclosed um, places on where we store our motorcycles. Um, funny thing, I actually learned how to open a beer bottle on my motorcycle today. Um, so that's my thing I can say I've learned how to do. Any sharp edge, like a bench top or something, pop it off, no dramas. Um, yeah, no, foot peg. I've got, it's like a perfectly built-in bottle opener on my uh, foot peg. So that's something fun I've learned over the last uh, couple of days instead of riding the Pan America. Um, but yeah, things are otherwise pretty hunky-dory in my neck of the woods. Um, we haven't been too affected by the weather. Um, and yeah, it's been an interesting week, hasn't it? Uh, it's been very, it's been full of ups and downs. Uh, but let's, uh, let's, let's do a relaxed version of the news before we talk about the Pan America stuff and all that kind of jazz. Um, last week, just before last week's episode went live, uh, Harley-Davidson did its international presentation and launch launch just presentation international reveal of the second motorcycle to use the harley davidson the brand new revolution max engine and you pegged it matt you got it right yeah it wasn't really hard that that hard to guess really when they announced that the sports store was being discontinued uh, in australasia um, which was one of the last holdouts for the air-cooled sportsters um, and I was sort of thinking, oh, yeah, they've got a new bike coming, or it could be the Bronx, but they have said that that's been wiped clean. And um, yeah, then a photo popped up and it had this upswept exhaust. And I was like, oh, that looks like uh, their custom cruiser concept. Um, and lo and behold, the custom cruiser concept became the new Sportster S, which is um, yeah, quite cool. I think it's quite cool anyway. Uh, where should we start? So there's photos and the full story about the reveal up on, on throttle.co.nz. But let's um, let's let's talk about it. Um, so it's the 2021 Sportster S. Uh, you know more about the uh, the ins and outs of it, but you've got here 121 horsepower, which is I don't think it's to be sniffed at, is it? No, well that's more than a Milwaukee Eight puts out in um, standard fare. So it's got more more power than uh, the Softail standard our Mike bought um, from a smaller engine. Um, and yes, yeah, so this engine, it is quite a departure. It is the Revolution Max engine um, from the Pan America. Um, it's been retuned for more low down torque and less peak power. So it doesn't have the 150 horsepower of the Pan America. It's got 121. Um, it's got a decent amount of torque too, 128 Newton meters, I think it is, 127, sorry. Um, so that's, um, yeah, that's quite a decent um, power figure. It's also doesn't have, um, like the Milwaukee 8, a separate gearbox to the engine itself. It's all more like how we um, expect a modern motorcycle engine to be an engine and gearbox in one unit. Um, but yeah, I've mm, styling seems to be the biggest point of contention with this motorcycle. Um, 
So as I said, point of contention. That's an interesting one because I think it looks fantastic. Yes, yeah, see, I the thing that I don't like about the design isn't what everyone else doesn't like. Everyone on the internet seems to hate the upswept exhaust, which sort of if you look at the design of the new Sports Series, it's got a few elements to it. Um, the rear section of the exhaust sort of takes from the F. Uh, what was it? The um, flat tracker XS. Uh, no, XR750 is what they're trying to say. Um, so it's got a flat track style upswept exhaust and um, sort of seat. It's like a solo seat bike. Um, uh, massive 16 inch, well, massive tires on 16 inch rims, uh, LED um, elongated sort of rectangular LED headlight um, and a great big fuel tank. Um, but yeah, the thing that everyone on the internet seems to hate is the exhaust. I actually quite dig it. I think it's quite cool. It'll allow the bike to have a bit more lean angle, be a bit more sporty in the corners. Uh, you won't be scraping the exhaust and worrying about ripping all the chrome off it. Um, for me, the thing that- 100%, the, the design of the exhaust, I love. Um, the end can reminds me of the big round end can that you had on the first generation MTO3 from Yamaha. Just a big, fat, dumpy can. And I get why they have to do it, because it's all about emissions control and blah, 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 blah. But I, I personally, I think it's just a bit too big, round and fat and white. Well, white, it's, it's it's not white on all the bikes but um it's you know it's a contrasting color um so i like the shape of the exhaust i'm just not a massive fan of the big fat cannon on it that said the overall look of the bike i think is brilliant there's not an ounce of chrome to be seen it's got some big fat tires which i liked on the ftr uh that little uh tank that kind of swept back tank um the engine itself on most models that i can see has got this uh this deep kind of bronze finish to it i think it's brilliant it's a great looking bike yeah and that engine's a stressed member of the frame as well so it doesn't it's a complete departure from the standard uh, sportster which we've had since 1957 i think it is um so after nearly 65 years they completely thrown out the design and started anew which is really cool Revolution Max engine, water-cooled, so it's got a radiator hidden in there, and it's like the radiator doesn't stick out like dog's balls either. But yes, it's part of the design and you notice it, but it doesn't look ugly. Um, but for me, the yeah, I'm not a huge fan of the fat tires. The fat tires sort of are slower to turn, a bit more effort. But I'm looking at um, a side profile here of um, a white bike, and if they just elongated the fork, put a bigger shock on that, uh, you've got a, a factory flat tracker straight out of the game yeah definitely when you say f wide tires i mean the tires themselves they don't look as wide as that ftr that i was riding and I, I might put a comparison um up on social media of the size of the tires on this bike that we've got in the stock photos supplied by harley and that ftr the ftr i mean those the rubber was stretched around those rims something chronic um i do like though that they've got they've got quite a bit of sidewall so uh you know I'm assuming that that sidewall will help with the ride comfort as well a little bit. Yeah, probably. Um, yeah, the only thing with yeah fat tires like the like as the Sports Stress has, it's sort of that bobber kind of style um, is what they're evoking there. And the fat tires, they're evoking the Harley 48, which was discontinued. Well, is gone from the end of the year. Um, so 
Yeah, it's, it's got cool little barian mirrors. Um, it's all black. It's got black levers. It looks like it's got a lot of tech in there. There's a what seems to be a, a TFT or at least an LCD display, a nice wee round tasteful one, um, and, and, and a lot of switch gear. Yep, it's a brand new 4-inch TFT. It's got rider modes, so you've got uh, road, rain, sport, and two custom rider modes that you can choose from. Plus, it'll connect to the Harley-Davidson app with Bluetooth, and you can display music and phone calls and navigation all through the app, and it'll come up on the bike, which is quite cool. Um, what else does it have? It's quite trick, six-axis IMU. Um, big price hike, though. So, um, yes, yeah, so standard um, air-cooled sportsters are going for around the 21, 22 mark for about, four, for a, say, a 48. Um, which is the cool sportster. Um, these are going to be priced from $28,750. But you'd kind of expect that, like Harley well and truly got their money's worth out of the old platform. So they could have a reason. And this has a lot more tech. It's a lot more up to date. Yeah, well, it's nothing on this bike is from the old bike. It's completely new. Um, so they got to pay for their R&D somehow. And um, yes, it's going to be sort of, it's more into that premium end of the market, which the CEO Jochen Zeitz really likes, uh, where you make more money on premium motorcycles. I think it is a bit of a shame they have nothing. Once the current air-cooled line are gone, there's going to be nothing in the Harley-Davidson lineup to get riders into a Harley unless they're well-heeled and have a lot of money. Like the cheapest Harley-Davidson is, I think it's Mike's Softail Standard at 23 grand. So it's interesting. So, um, It'll be very interesting to see how they sell. I'm really, really looking forward to having a ride on one, hopefully. Um, I'm sure I'll head over to... That said, how many people fall... Like, a lot of people fall into riding motorcycles, right? And, and, and like, the cheap lambs market, the 150s, the 250s. You kind of just fall into one of them. You can pick one up reasonably cheap. But if you're going... If, if you're a Harley rider, you're not going to fall into riding a Harley, are you? It's a conscious decision that you're going to make. And so they can, they can. Well, I think to an extent, they can charge that premium. Yeah, I'm just, you know I'm sort of in the camp of, um, in order to build brand loyalty, you want to get your riders early. Um, so like BMW has with the G310s. This is true. Um, yeah. KTM with the 390 Adventure, that sort of lower end of the market, you get them hooked on the brand and, build the relationship with the dealer nice and early um like heck my first three bikes were higher songs because the dealer treated me well um if that doesn't say something about the dealer <laughs> um and that sort of getting you early um, i don't know what does um but yeah it's it's a shame harley now nah, you, you are you're exactly right and that's why i'm a yamaha boy because rick jamison down at mcr was was the first person to be able to sell me a bike um, and he's a Yamaha dealer, so you're exactly right. Okay, uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, so it's um, it's a shame for Harley, and like the Street 500 was discontinued what, last year or the year before. Um, so, like those are bikes that hold their money really well. If you um, want to get a Lamb's bike, um, you're not going to lose money on a Street 500 from Harley. Um, but yeah, it's it's quite a shame really that there's going to be nothing sort of. Nothing even remotely lambs friendly or like sub twenty thousand dollars in the Harley lineup now, which um, yeah, I think it's a shame because that sort of twenty thousand dollar limit—that's sort of my mental limit when buying a motorcycle. Anything over twenty grand—that's that, that's quite a big purchase. If it's under twenty grand, well, that could be rationalised in any way. <laughs> um, so that might just be me, you know. Um, so yeah, it's amazing. Um, 
take on um, sports to now. Um, and as we've seen um, and we've heard, um, there was the Bronx concept, which used the same engine, um, more in the Pan America tune, I believe, but that's um, still up in the air as to whether or not that's coming back. Um, but you could easily platform this bike into so many different um, designs. You could, as I said, add taller suspension and you've got yourself a factory flat tracker. Um, you could add um, different um, subframe. You've got a two-up bike. Um, it really looks like it's going to be quite a versatile platform like the Sportster was. So, um, yeah, apart from that upswept exhaust, I think they've... Um, really kind of n- hit the nail on the head for the, the buyer. I'll tell you what, when they hit the country, we'll be gunning to get one and we'll take you for a first ride as well as a full review of the brand new Harley-Davidson Sportster S. For photos and more information, on throttle.co.nz. Now, Matt, we were meant to be in Nelson slash Blenheim or somewhere between the two, riding the Harley-Davidson Pan America. Unfortunately, the weather didn't play its part, and late or midday on Friday, everything got canned, the pin got pulled. We'll talk more about that shortly, but in our bid to bring our listeners the latest thoughts, feelings, and information about new bikes, let's now take in Boris Mihalovic's thoughts from the Australian launch of the Harley-Davidson Pan America. Twenty twenty one Harley-Davidson Pan America, the lesson of the gun. I'm going to write this review back to front. I'll provide you the conclusion first because I know that's what you all want to know. Then I'll explain the conclusion and give you some background. And then you can all go and fight amongst yourselves. The Harley-Davidson Pan America is astonishing. It's a serious contender in the adventure market, and there is no doubt in my mind that Milwaukee has decided it's going to write a whole new chapter in its storied history book, and the new Pan America is the opening paragraph. I'm looking forward to riding it a lot harder and a lot further than I did at the launch, where various constraints prevented me from exploring the Pan America's quite obvious abilities. I can put my hand on my heart and tell you this thing works. And here's why. It's a stone-cold truth that a man must never bring a knife to a gunfight. And by any measure, the adventure bike niche is a gunfight, and one that's been raging for ages. Vast Teutonic motorcycles and one Italian monster rule the rarefied space. Motorcycles with advanced electronics operated by supercomputers which allow the average rider to realistically access the bike's power and capabilities and to fool him into thinking maybe he rides a bit better than he actually does. These motorbikes are perhaps more complex than they need to be for their intended purpose, which appears to be the exploration of the Kimbu Icefall, or a fast blat to the deadly but welcoming arms of Yosemite's Tenya Canyon. But then maybe not, since a large percentage of so-called adventure bikes rarely see anything more challenging than a well-kept fire trail. So it follows that bikes competing in this space must do two things very well. They must be capable of summiting K2, and they must be able to put shame to sport bikes on the tar. 
no small task to build such a bike. This explains the screams of disbelief and disdain which followed upon the heels of Harley-Davidson's declaration that it will build such a bike. Two things happened immediately after the images of the Pan America surfaced about a year or so ago. The traditional Harley demographic descended into confused denial. What foul act of treachery had caused their favourite motorcycle company to attempt such a thing? Had the Milwaukee bosses gone insane? Why was Harley not building another V-Rod, or something with twin shocks, or resurrecting the Buell, or what about a new panhead? What was it thinking? Building this weird bender-looking sumbitch with ridiculous wog brakes. The howling from Harley's non-core market was even more outraged. As if the Milwaukee bros even had a clue about building a real bike, they said. Cue the usual disdainful sniffing about where was one going to put one's tassels, one's beer belly, and one's aging and couch-sized Harley honey. And it's ugly, they cried, seemingly blind to the fact that adventure bikes all look like busted crabs. It better be good. Unsurprisingly, Harley was quite aware of the noise, and it knew deep in its ancient bones that when the Pan America finally debuted and was put in the hands of reviewers, most of whom were cynically sceptical, while the remainder were hardcore Harley riders for whom such a bike was as alien as a healthy diet and a gym membership, it had better be the goods. I was sceptical and cynical too, but then I'm pretty much made of scepticism and cynicism. But yes, there are a lot of buts here. I was more curious than anything else. Surely Milwaukee would not make an attempt at this niche without understanding what the competition offered and then making sure the Pan America offered all of that and even more. I had read all the overseas reviews when I arrived at the Australian launch to ride the Pan America. This is not something I usually do. Since reading the tedious blur that passes for a bike review in today's world gives me indigestion. That said, the overseas offerings are usually far better than the trash you'll read here in Australia. And the American reviewers were quite voyable in their praise for the Pan America. But you know, American reviewers, they're like the POM reviewers who keep awarding triumph every accolade they can imagine. Happily here in Australia, we don't make any bikes. Suspension Voodoo As I stood looking at the example that greeted me in the foyer of the hotel, I found myself nodding. The Pan America certainly looked the business to my eye. In black or that killer deep green colour, both of which do the bike more favours than the strange orange and cream coloured version, it looked every inch a capable adventure tourer. I actually like the way it looks, it's unique and kind of brutal about the head and that's a positive thing in this segment. It looks very fit for purpose, and it had all the must-haves such a beast has to have. Radial Brembo's, a very clever flip-up brake pedal to take the foot stretch out of stand-up braking. Heated grips, cruise control, hill hold, slip assist clutch, a centre stand, adjustable engine braking, shower electronic semi-active suspension, tyre pressure monitoring, Bosch traction control and lean angle sensitive ABS. 
cornering lights, adjustable screen and seat height, USB ports on the dash and under the seat, a big TFT touchscreen that works with gloves, a range of ride modes with two customizable ones, all linked to the suspension, ABS and traction control, a decent weight, 254kg wet, with the ability to carry at least 200kg more, and a range of luggage options from hard to soft. And over and above all of this, Harley has provided something of a holy grail to the Pan America. It has adaptive ride height voodoo. What is that you say? It's sorcery. Damn you, sorcery. But really good sorcery, and I reckon it will soon start appearing on all sorts of bikes. What it does is lower the suspension when the bike is coming to a halt. Then it raises the suspension as you move off again. In its default mode, you don't even notice it's doing it, though you can set it so it delays the action by a second or two. It's brilliant, and one of those things that will set the Pan America above its competition. It allows riders with dwarf legs, or those challenged with lack of altitude, to plant their feet on the ground when they come to a stop. Yes, you can turn it off if you're too good, too tall, too vain, but it's a game changer in this segment for sure. The engine revolution. The motor. You're going to be seeing lots more of Harley's new liquid-cooled 60-degree V-twin dubbed the Revolution Max or Rev Max, and you should, because it's a great engine. It's crisp, beautifully fueled, and piles on the power with a refinement that's quite deceiving. It's nutsweet being lugged around at slow speeds and low gears on iffy surfaces, and somewhat of a fire breather when the revs climb towards 9500 redline. I would have liked to ride it with a little more Satan on my shoulder, but traffic and health and safety stuff prevented any serious exploration of its dark side. That 127 Newton meters and 150 horses do bear closer and more private scrutiny. It's got some new stuff for Harley inside where the guts live, like a dry sump engine with oil jets firing their goodness under the piston skirts and three-stage scavenger pump producing enough sucking to enable the use of low-tension piston rings to reduce friction. Hydraulic lifters speak to small roller rockers, obviating valve adjustments, and this all speaks to longevity and cheaper services. I tried it on off-road mode, road mode, and sport mode. Sport mode firms everything up and makes the throttle a little choppier. Off-road mode was where it lived when we rode the simple fire trails and some easy grass track, and it felt decidedly relaxed. It did nothing to terrify me, and it felt decidedly smaller than it actually is. Big tick there. Sport mode is what I put it in to see what was what on my way home. It was firm about the bounces, and a bit light and switchy at the throttle, so I reckon it would live in road mode most of the time. But you really do have a broad palette in terms of customising it to suit you. It's all about the smooth and powerful dock, no mistake. The Pan America is very comfortable. The seat is wide where it counts, and narrow where it matters, getting your feet down. Pillions appear well catered for, but my wife will be the judge of that. Stand-up ergos are spot on, the adjustable screen works very well, and the cornering headlight, that's the top one, is a hoot. I was watching it go on and off on the bike behind me. But how effective it is in the corners will need to wait until I ride it in the dark. 
My left hand did snag the high beam switch a few times and you'll have to get used to where the side stand is because it's forward of the pegs and it takes a little effort to lever it off the stand. There are a lot of switches but they're easy to navigate and I can only assume Harley has gone to great lengths to make the navigation as intuitive as possible because lots of Americans have handguns in bad tempers. The Pan American deserves to be a success because it's every bit as good as it should be and way better than I ever thought it might be. It's always great when the bike you review exceeds your expectations and that's what the Pan America did to mine. I honestly did not expect it to be as well sorted and refined as it turned out to be. $33,995 Australian right away gets you the mag wheeled black version. $34,710 gets you the two-tone paint while an additional 1675 picks up the spoked version with that magical adaptive ride height thing. Buy one, seriously. So Harley-Davidson did not bring a knife to a gunfight. It couldn't, and it knew that. So it brought a gun, and the Pan America is a hell of a gun. Now you've just got a draw. Frequently asked social media questions. So it's made in India, right? No, it's entirely made at the main plant in Milwaukee, USA. But why is it so ugly? Your mum is ugly, but you still love her, right? Is it better than a GS or a KTM? It's damn near as good, and actually better in some ways. If it was really meant for the dirt, it would have a 21-inch front wheel, right? It's an adventure tourer, not an enduro bike. Is it faster than the Multistrada? No. What's it really like in the dirt? What are you really like in the dirt? Me? I'm usually cautious and terrified. The Pan America suited me rather well there. Does it sound like a Harley? Yes, because it is a Harley. It sounds like a Harley, but not like the Harley you're thinking of. You're just saying it's great because you need Harley's advertising dollars. Mm, get outside so I can belt you. So there you go, from the Australian launch of the Harley-Davidson Pan America, Boris Mihalovic's story, his thoughts on that fantastic bike. The fantastic bike that we are not going to get to ride this week on the show. And joining us now, uh, as well as Matthew Day Gillett, it is uh, Kiwi Rider Magazine editor Ben Wilkins. Uh, ben, we had that story in June 2021, Volume 1 of the magazine. Uh, have you got any closer than that story to riding or to uh, to experiencing the Pan America? Yeah, I got closer than you guys. I got on the plane, <laughs> flew to Auckland, and when I got off the plane, ready to fly to Nelson, there were 10 missed calls, three, three or four messages, um, voice messages uh, saying, oh, we've cancelled it. So I kind of got halfway there, but yeah, <laughs> no, I, I got to Auckland and it turns out after a bit of uh, looking at the email trail and the messages, they closed the doors three minutes before the text came through. 
So I was on the plane. Yeah, so we got a message from you saying, I'm on the plane off to Auckland chat later at 9.46am. And Matt posted up, it's been cancelled on our group chat at 9.49am. So three minutes difference. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I was just like, oh no. And you, at that point, there was no way in hell that you get off, like your bag's on there. There's like. Yeah, can you imagine the commotion that would cause? Sorry, guys, oh, I've mm. got to get off. Oh, and I want my bag as well. Yeah. Imagine. <laughs> So let's wind back the clock. Uh, It's been about four weeks since we got, most of us got the email saying uh, that that we'd love you to come to Nelson for the Harley Davidson Pan America launch. Uh, Be the first people in New Zealand to ride the the well, Harley Davidson's first adventure bike. Uh, And I was I was champing at the bit. I said, "Yep, I'm there. I don't even know what dates or where I need to be, but I'm there." Well, you got as sick as a dog. This is, it's not just their first adventure bike. It's their first serious departure from a cruiser of some style. Because even the Buells were a different brand. So they've only made um, cruiser style bikes. Even Sportsters are cruisers. Um, Hmm. So this is their huge departure for them. So yeah, I mean, we were talking about this. We were all super keen to go and try this, especially after Boris actually said, actually guys this is actually it's not just good for a harley it's actually good and boris is quite the harley davidson well not a critic but he's a harley fan and also as a reviewer and stuff so if anyone's going to be hard on a bike it's boris i remember when we broke the oh, live wires the first time and he absolutely panned it um and yeah it's big to hear boris say nice things about the pan america so it's extra gutting to have not gotten to go there I know. Um, oh, but um it, so the whole week leading up we were like yeah we're going yeah we're going yeah we're looking forward to this we were getting our uh, cardo systems organized we were going to be uh, recording live while riding the bike for the first time uh, we were going to be recording this podcast and telling you all about it and then it was as we just talked about it was uh, morning it was what 9 30 9 45 in the morning they cancelled it and what were the reasons it was basically because there were weather warnings yeah and yeah, it didn't maybe, seem so bad yeah, but they were uh, red weather warnings and like 100 kilometer an hour wind warnings. It was only um, orange for Nelson and for Blenheim. Um, everything bad was west of Nelson, but clearly in hindsight, it was definitely the right choice because it seems like Nelson and Blenheim got absolutely hit just as hard as the West Coast, didn't they? Yeah, so it de- definitely, it didn't seem as bad as, it didn't seem like it was going to be that bad. It seemed like a marginal call when they said, no, we're cancelling it. We were all sitting around going, well, we probably could have still done something, guys, couldn't we? Even if it was just go down and rev them up in, and do burnouts in the uh, hotel lobby. Or just take the main road straight through to Blenheim, you know, um, and, and not do any of the, the twisty stuff around the coast. Yeah, I mean, hindsight comes along. <laughs> and, um, yeah, all those roads around Nelson and Blenheim, everything was closed. There were slips. Part of the Queen Charlotte Drive, which we were meant to be riding on, slipped away down the hill. Um, everything was just closed. Uh, and Trees across the road. Uh, it, it was absolutely crazy, and can, really. Can you imagine trying to fly into that or trying to leave, fly out? I don't think we would. We'd probably still be stuck there our, if we'd actually got I think there. our flights would have been cancelled. So in hindsight, we, we would have flown into Nelson. And at about the time that we would have been trying to go from Nelson around to Polaris, uh, 
that's when the road started closing. Uh, the, so the road, Nelson to Polaris and on to Blenheim, that closed, as you said, Matt. Uh, Queen Charlotte Drive closed. The road from Picton to Blenheim closed. I don't know if Port Underwood actually cl- closed, but I can't imagine it would have been. It would have been a very good um, time to be riding around there. Would have been a bit of a state. Like remember those corrugations when we rode um, that Port Underwood road in January when we did our our South Island ride and the corrugations mid-corner and like there was the odd water rut like can you just imagine some of those steeper bits just the big water just torrenting down um it would have it would have been pretty ugly particularly on brand new not our bikes uh would have been a really good test for the 6x simu in rain mode but um <laughs> yeah we would have really been pushing the wading depth i think if we came across any water bigger than a puddle. so i'm about 400 kilometers from nelson the way the crow flies uh obviously in in wellington you know bottom of the north island and we got wet bad weather here uh my backyard i've never ever seen it ankle deep across the entire backyard and it was almost it was probably about five millimeters away from coming into the garage so it was bad here uh so i think you're right they made the right decision to cancel the event um and good on them yeah um was a real shame because there was all the who's who of the new zealand motorcycle media were going to be there it was going to be a nice old catch-up for us all um instead of us sitting around in our living rooms or rumpus rooms or garages drinking beer and wine um, virtually having a chat um i was really looking forward to that aspect almost as much as riding the bike how about you guys well yeah i was kind of thinking well let's just fly down there anyway we can just <laughs> drink beer and talk <laughs> shit yeah if i had enough money on my credit card (laughs) i'm pretty sure as soon as they cancelled the event they would have cancelled our hotel bookings and we would have had to pay for them ourselves (laughs) that that, um mm, would have been pretty pricey so since we never got to ride the bike um and we've heard boris malovic's story in the podcast here today um let's let's have a chat about that bike because when it was first announced it looked like a big square flying brick to me um, but my personal vibes on the bike and after having seen a few international reviews on it on YouTube have changed. Um, I'm actually starting to quite like it. Mm. I, I like the look of it. I'm, I'm still not sold on the shape and look of the front headlight. But it's one of those things that kind of you, got, you get used to it. It's got striking looks. I mean, remember when, I don't know if you do remember, but when the BMW... Um, uh, GS went to its squinty headlights um, with the 1150, I think it was, and it, and it kind of looked like it had one squinty little eye and one big little eye. Everyone was like, that looks ridiculous. And they kept it so long that it just became normal and you didn't think about it anymore. I think the same is going to happen with, with the BM, with the um, with the Harley. It looks mm. strange. It kind of looks like... Um, um, like the robot out of Futurama with his mm, <laughs> big, Bender. big eyes. Ben, it's like Bender. Um, mm. But I, we'll, I think we'll get used to it. Yeah, well, it's the same sort of design language as on some of their big cruisers that they call it the shark nose fairing. Um, and yeah, it's, it does look a bit mm. weird. Um, but what adventure bike doesn't really? Like you've got the KTMs yeah. and they look weird. Also, when you look at the um, when you look at the Pan America with its with its headlights on, it's um, 
compare that to what's just been announced, the Sportster S. Um, it's it's that same design language. Yeah, the, the shape of it's slightly different. I mean, it doesn't have like a lens over the, the light. It's just the, the Sportster S is just that light, the LED light bar, essentially, the little short stubby thing. Um, but it's it's that same design language you were talking about, man. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's a Harley. Like the one thing I find weird is um, I don't think the aftermarket exhaust looks great on the Panamerica because you've got that big catalytic converter space underneath the sort of what basically where the foot pegs are and that. And yeah, the the photos I've seen of the uh, the accessory exhaust, we'll call it. Um, it it looks a bit it doesn't look right it looks better to me with a factory exhaust but maybe i'm just a bit what one's the factory one and what one's the aftermarket i'm gonna have to find a photo now now i'm just looking up now is as, it, as we're talking the, the silver one is the silver one the factory or the aftermarket because i'm seeing a blacked out pan america with a black exhaust and i think that looks pretty good yes yeah, i think but then i'm seeing the cream and orange one with a silver exhaust yeah where's the old uh I think it's the silver exhaust is the uh, aftermarket one, um, and the black exhaust is the factory one. In that case, I, I completely agree that the, the black one looks great, and the silver one is in the same way that the light-coloured exhaust on the Sportster S is a little bit too much look at me. I like the black. I like the understated. I like the just. This is this is just the exhaust. Don't look here. Nothing to see here. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, the black one. Yeah, and sort of where the the aftermarket one is, it doesn't really have the same sort of catalytic converter space. It's just got this big gaping. Like it looks just like a bit of welded drain pipe. Um, it just it looks a bit unfinished. But that just could be pre-production stuff as well. Um, but yeah, it's honestly. I think I don't really have anything to go against the looks of the bike. I think it does look purposeful and functional uh, which is what you want an adventure bike to be electronics wise i'm pretty impressed that what they've got with the uh, full tft display they've got rider modes they've got everything you could want in there and i'm a sucker for a bike with cruise control yeah i was i can definitely remember when i was riding down to your place earlier this year cruise control would have been quite nice um <laughs> yeah it's it's got all the bells and whistles and it's got that um what everyone's talking about that adjustable suspension that self-lowering raising ride height mm. control, which as you come to a halt it uh, it drops and you can adjust how much it does it. It, it you're at full ride height for the rough stuff and you come to a stop and as you're slowing down it it, it drops the bike down so you don't need to have super long legs anymore yeah what a great idea great heck yeah and it's amazing no one's done it before like you've got ktm doing cornering headlights and everything and rider modes power rally modes bmws has like always been at the forefront of certain bits of technology and harley davidson's the one that's doing this which if anything it makes the most sense for adventure bikes like they're huge oh, great big behemoths and they're unwieldy and they're hard to touch the ground on and yet <laughs> like it's I don't know, it's an interesting aspect of Harley-Davidson these days is they're out to surprise you with just how out of the box they can think. Wasn't there a BMW with a ride, an electronic ride height thing or is that an aftermarket option? No, it's um, the, the, the 1250 GS and the, the 1200 GS had ride height control but it was only when you'd set it to high or medium or low or whatever, whatever the settings were but they didn't adapt as you rode. Um, this is the first time I've seen ride height that changes as you ride, um, yeah. specifically to give you more ground clearance. Or, I mean, Aprilia on their um, Tuono have 
um, adaptive damping, but it doesn't change the ride height. Um, it just changes the damping based on how fast or how aggressively you're riding. So mm. it'll become softer as you're going along, uh, like cruising around a racetrack. When you're riding hard, it stiffens it up. Well, this takes the whole thing a complete step further. I don't know why no one else has done it. Yeah, I think yeah, you're completely right. It's an evolution of that tech we've had for what good half decade really the electronically adjusted suspension and as you say the bmw one i think you can sort of like you've got different mode options and it's like rider or and luggage or rider and pillion rider pillion luggage yeah um, and, and, and it will and, and it'll literally pump it up if you put oh i've got a pillion on now and you press that mode you feel the rear shock lift up or you mm. take it off and it drops down again but it doesn't do it dynamically when you're riding yeah um so Which maybe is I, this is something I see a lot more of. Yeah, so maybe we'll see BMW and KTM adapt this next because they've got everything they need. It's just programming it in and yeah, maybe it was a light bulb moment that um, someone over in America had and go, oh, why don't we do this? And someone's going, oh yeah, we can do that. <laughs> Would have been really interesting to talk to the engineers. You'd think the clever Austrian and BMW engineers, would have, uh, German and Austrian engineers would have come up with this, wouldn't you? I mean. But no, they haven't. So all, all kudos to uh, Harley. I, I bet you it was, I bet you it was a, an intern somewhere that said, "Hey, why don't we do this?" Yeah, maybe. Because it's definitely you, like uh, I was going to say, you wouldn't think of Harley as a market disruptor because their market has always been the same market. So cruiser-based bikes, okay, they, they went into the Lambs market and sold a hell of a lot of street 500s but this bike is truly a market disruptor there are, there are going to be people that would look at this that wouldn't have ever looked at a harley ever so we've um we've chewed over the the styling the looks of it uh and and i think as a bullet point on that i'll just say that that no adventure bike is actually a looker in my view they're all ugly as sin even the tenere 700 which is parked over there i think the last of the good ones were things like uh ben your um r80gs i mean they look great back in the day but as far as looks go yeah again i don't think they look great even <laughs> even then <laughs> Okay, let's put throw a hen in the chick, chicken house or a fox in the hen house. V eighty five TT. A fox in yeah, the hen house. A hen in the hen house. V eighty five TT. I think that actually is quite a looker, depending on what angle you look at it. Yeah, that that that's a nice looking bike. That's the thing, depending on what angle mm. you look at it. Yeah, it looks a bit funny when you look at it sort of from behind, but you look at it at that three quarter angle or side on, and it looks great. I reckon. Um, I'd yeah, love I'd... to have one in my garage. All right, let's let's. Let's dive deep into this conversation then. Uh, the best looking bike, full stop, not uh, not restricted to a type or a category. What's your favourite looking bike? Oh, you just opened yeah, a can of worms. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I am. Okay, maybe not your favourite bike, but pick a bike that you think looks good. And I guarantee you it's not an adventure bike. Oh, no, mm. yeah, absolutely right. Mm. Anything, anything uh, Aprilia from you, Ben? I'm sure. No, I was going to think um, the Kajiva um, Grand Prix bike that Eddie Lawson rode. Um, absolutely stunning um, bit of kit. Which yes, is yeah, the same. Thinking. That's the Kajiva Research Center, which is where the MV Augusta came out of the um, the F4, the um, Ducati 916. They all came out of that Italian, same Italian design house. So mm, 916 kind of was like a great looking bike. 
Um, yeah, sort of sports bikes tend to actually really look great. Um, sort of, though, in saying that, I really like the look of a um, Triumph Bonneville. Like, it's, I mm. think, just nice, simple. You see how everything works. There's no clutter. It is just wheel, body, engine, frames, wheel, done. Well, that's why I quite like some of the Harley Sportster bobbers. They can look really nice. Um, hmm. Yeah. Just don't um, try and ride the Coromandel Loop on a 48. <laughs> that, that's the one with the peanut tank, isn't it? Yeah, you need to stop about three times peanut, to yeah. get around. That's um, a great looking bike. Yeah, that's where the um, we were talking about this earlier, Ben, that where the inspiration for the wheels of the new Sportster S came from was the 48. So there's 16 inch rim with big, chunky, high profile, mm. fat, wet tires. Um, which is the only thing I don't like about that bike, to be honest. Oh, no, um, I like that. I like that look. Oh, sound, yeah, I like the high pipes, but yeah, we're getting off topic. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we are. We're getting off topic. But where I was going with that anyway was that, that generally speaking, um, the, the looks are not the reason why you buy an adventure bike. But further to that, um, I just wanted to touch on the amount of hate on this bike, the live wire... I haven't seen anything on the Sportster so far, but the amount of Harley hate online, uh, especially when they said they were doing an adventure bike, isn't that? It's just mind blowing how much, how many people are negative on the bikes. It's that tribalism thing, though. Like Harley has built itself for the last what 40, 50 years on that, well, even longer, really. The whole Harley, you're part of the Harley family, and everyone else is an other, and it's sort of flipped around now where. Everyone else has their own little clique now, and it's like you got your Suzuki, your Jap bike riders, you got your Italian and all your modern classic riders, and everyone sort of turns down their nose at Harley because up until now they've just been the same. There's been nothing particularly exciting about them, and then all of a sudden they're doing this, and people just jump on the band ring and go, Ugh, "No, my bike's better than that." Um, it's yeah, a classic case of othering, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, people, people who are Harley owners are like, why would they do this? We don't want this. And people who aren't Harley owners see them as a, a cruiser company and are just going, well, oh, it'll be rubbish. Whereas, mm. as Boris said, it's actually really rather good. Mm. As, as Boris said in his story, traditional Harley demographic descended into confusion, denial, where the non-Harley riders just went, what? <laughs> um, but I think, I honestly think this is like the way that Harley are going to get themselves out of this, this situation. I see this bike as a really positive thing. Um, not so much the live wire and that's probably what they're seeing themselves and why they're spinning it off um because the, I, I don't think the technology is there yet but two modern sweet looking looking we just had that conversation bikes from harley both using modern technology electrics um and capable of doing what you expect motorcycles to do these days yeah you're right it's a quantum leap for harley they're going from push rod engines to variable valve timing dual overhead cam engines um, with gearboxes that are part of the engine itself rather than a separate gearbox that bolts onto the back of an engine um, it's completely new territory for harley and as boris said it's put harley paris into confusion because they look at that and they go well apart from the harley badge that's not a harley davidson to me that's not a bike for me yeah 
mm, which we look at that and go actually mm, that could be a bit of us like there are plenty of harleys i'd happily ride or own these days but i wouldn't be ditching my current bike but then i just look at that and go actually well that could be all right and yeah we were looking at what was it the um the dyno torque curve and that variable valve timing definitely seems to smooth that engine out doesn't it there's another piece of tech that really does uh take the power from the top end and put it at the bottom end or vice versa depending on what um what cam profile you're you're, you're um you're working on there essentially you know it doesn't seem to be a particularly hindered system like the bmw system basically pushes a pin and moves the whole camshaft doesn't it from memory it's got an electric little servo that moves it into the different camshaft where the harley system is more of like a traditional vtec kind of thing it's all hydraulic um which is yeah it's a really very cool piece of kit and it doesn't have a really stupid air filter like the traditional Harleys, the Milwaukee 8s, the Evolution engines of the old Sportsters, they've all got that air filter just hanging out the side. Bolted um, onto the other side, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, completely, completely modernised Harley-Davidson. And now we were talking about this earlier, it's that Revolution Max engine is a great sort of modular platform engine where um, we could definitely be seeing a heck of a lot more products using it moving forward. Oh, absolutely. I, I don't see them not having developed this motor to only use it in this adventure bike and the Sportster. This is yeah, well, it's a whole new thing for them, it's a whole new platform. Yeah, well, I, if I remember correctly, when they announced the engine and the Bronx, um, which is, as far as we know, it's on the back burner for now, um, there was going to be a 950cc variant of this. So they were directly going after sort of Ducati and the Multistrada or like an, a sub thousand cc harley would be great so what you're saying is they're going to be a kid with a new toy and everything that comes out is going to have uh, a variation of this uh revolution max engine oh, ducati does everything with the their v4 or v2 engines like mm. <laughs> it's well kawasaki with their parallel twins um yamaha's putting the cp2 and everything yeah exactly like it's um the modular engine and modular platform bikes are the way of the future you're not going to make any money in this day and age by having one product using one engine that's why like harley's shortened their softail lineup because they had so many different variations of the softail they weren't really making any money anymore because everything was just so different um so it's it's a really really good move it's just hopefully we see more of it and more of it soon well i think it's going to bring people into the brand who've got no interest in traditional Harleys. It'll mm. bring people in that w would maybe buy a Suzuki Intruder or a um, Yamaha VMAX or something that's going to have actual performance. Well, not, I'm not saying Harleys don't have performance, but they, they don't publish power figures because the power figures are pitifully low, but they've got a huge amount of torque. But this way they're actually talking about this bike's got 150 horsepower and the other one's gonna have yeah. 120. they're actually giving power figures they've they they, are, they know they're going for a completely different market people that want to know this mm. these numbers yeah well the traditional harley buyer is either um someone that wants to pose with their harley davidson or 
of a certain one percenter kind of crowd um, and yeah distancing themselves from that image like it's the whole image problem i think we've talked about it in the past like harley's image has become a hindrance for them where this is sort mm. of freshening things up i think it'll definitely bring people into the brand especially if they carry on diversifying the platform uh, around that mm-hmm. around that motor i think they're going to have a, a a massive change of people interested in the bikes i know they did a couple of years ago they were making trying to revive their fortunes basically sales were flagging they came out with um the street models they came out with a few other things that were that was them trying to rejuvenate themselves and it didn't work but i think with this platform i think it, it it's going to work brilliantly i think yeah, see, the thing, I, the problem I saw with the street models um, when they, it was made clear when they brought out that street rod was they were still shackled to that traditional Harley image. So the Street mm. 500, if it didn't have that massively wide tank um, and like classic cruiser and had that, the styling and everything was classic Harley, it was just a smaller water cooled engine. Um, and yeah, the street rod sort of brought that to the fore where it was. It could have been so much more, but they were shackled to these traditional cruiser things that it ended up as a bit of a dog box. Like you had that the awkward um, ergonomics, the foot pegs were weird. Like the right hand foot peg actually had a pad for your heel to go onto, so you didn't get stuck on the exhaust because the exhaust had to be routed X way. Um, and yeah, it's, they've kind of gone, oh, well, just let's put that to the side and try something completely new. And it hopefully it's working. Uh, I think so. Yeah. So Ray, um, as someone who's relatively new to the the whole Harley scene, and when, when you had those Harleys, um, I think it was last year um, that, that you borrowed. How, so you haven't got that kind of history with Harley about whether you like them or you don't like them or whatever. What do you think about the uh, this whole new um, dynamic for them? No, I really, really like it. Uh, I really like. Um, we actually st- we we talked about it at the top of the podcast with the the uh, the Sportster S. I think that's a great looking bike. It's a if I was going to have a Harley now, it would be between the FXDR, which I rode last year, or the Sportster S, or the Pan America. Uh, I think um, this new modern Harley take uh, is is uh, brilliant. It's going to be brilliant for the brand, and it's brilliant. For motorcycling in general, um, I'm I'm looking forward to being able to ride all three of these uh, bikes and or, or two of these new bikes, and um, and you know, uh, generally having something positive to say about Harley that's not I don't like the Chrome. Yeah, I can see where you're coming from. Okay, well that is our thoughts so far on the Harley Davidson Pan America. Uh, and the sports that yes which was revealed uh, a week or so ago thank you very much for joining us uh, Ben and Matt uh, great to have you along unfortunately we couldn't have a beer and have this conversation in person but looking forward to um, uh, maybe catching up when the launch is rescheduled or maybe just catching up in general yeah I think we're going to have to plan a um, a boys weekend ride away somewhere together um, we haven't had one of those in a while I think we just need to go and just ride our bikes have some beers and just chill well let's um, find somewhere equidistant for all three of us somewhere around the central plateau 
and um, just ride up like, like myself and uh, Ray did and we met up in was it Thai Happy? About this time last year Was it Thai Happy? Yeah, met up in Thai Happy yeah, yeah Thai Happy and we went and, went and did the, uh, the Gentle Annie Yeah let's mm. plan something similar Sounds good guys uh, For details for details on uh, the Pan America story by Boris Mihalovic f- uh, check out go to Google Search Kiwi Rider Jumag. Uh, you'll go through to the newsstand. You'll be wanting to check out June 2021, Volume 1. There's also uh, the entire back catalogue for the last few years of Kiwi Rider magazines up there free for you to download or read. Uh, and the latest magazine, being correct me if I'm wrong, is the Aprilia RS 660 and a whole lot more there as well. The Benelli 752S from memory. Yep. Um, yep, man, man a few words. <laughs> Well, the RS660, yeah, there's an, uh, a mag um, myself and um, Matt have been working on. Uh, the uh, July um, dirt issue coming out uh, on Tuesday, Tuesday night. So we're feverishly uh, getting that ready to go. So yeah, Tuesday night, new mag. Righto, well, check it out. Go to, uh, if in doubt, go to kiwirider.co.nz. This is Kiwi Rider Podcast, of course. We would love to hear from you with your feedback, good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, let us know what you think of the podcast and what we do. Uh, you can email us, podcast at kiwirider.co.nz. You can get hold of us on social media. Facebook and Instagram is where we generally hang out. We're on TikTok as well, can you believe it? Uh, just search Kiwi Rider Podcast on all of those platforms. Um, and if you've got a story, everyone does. I'd love to hear from you, whether it be how you bought your bike, how you came to have your bike you've got, or a recent ride you've done. Uh, do get hold of us. We'd love to hear from you and have your story on the podcast. Uh, thank you very much, team, for joining us. Thank you, man. Been nice catching it's up. Been a, been a pleasure. Keep the rubbers let down the throttle on, and we'll catch you on Kiwi Rider Podcast in seven days' time. <laughs>